Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and welcome to another edition of Direct Snap. This is episode three, and if you're not familiar with Direct Snap, first of all, Go back and listen to episode one and episode two. But Direct Snap is a show where we address controversial football topics that many want to either completely avoid or tap dance around. You can follow us on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash football game plan. We're on Facebook, Vine, and Instagram. We're easy to find. It's simply football game plan. And if you miss this show or any one of our episodes, you can find it archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. And this episode is called Lanyap, which means something extra. So it's a grab back episode, no real format for this one. We're going to go through some fan questions. I'm going to attack an article, not really attack an article. I thought Kevin Clark of the Wall Street Journal did a great job with this article. I'm going to attack the contents of it from the interviews that he got from these NFL coaches about quarterback play. And I'm going to go on a rant about the things that bothered me this past week. And I may use this every week in direct snap. I think this will be a cool segment just to highlight some of the things that went wrong that I thought went wrong this past weekend. And we're going to start this one off with the fan question, hitting Twitter up through the weekend, asking questions on what guys wanted me to talk about on direct snap. The show has been very popular. I must say, I thank you guys for your support. You guys like these direct type of talk type things. I know I'm a little bit more formatted as far as the previews that I put out and the things that I put out as far as draft prospects are concerned. So this allows me to be a little bit more of myself and also just to get things off my chest. I use it as a, as a form of therapy as well, too, because there's a lot of things I want to say that I can't say publicly, but this podcast allows me to do both. So I think this is a great outlet for me, and that's why I appreciate the feedback that I've gotten from the fans on how we've done uh, with direct snap. So thank you guys, by the way. So I went to Twitter and the first fan question came from at Arif Hassan NFL. Very good dude there. I, you know, I like Arif a lot. He does a great job covering the Vikings. And obviously he asked a question. What do you think about the Vikings Super Bowl chance? Or let's just talk about the Vikings going to the Super Bowl. First of all, don't ask me about no Super Bowl. I already made my picks. Seahawks, San Diego Chargers. That's my Super Bowl pick right now. Uh, but all jokes aside, I do look at the Vikings, and if they want to make the Super Bowl, it's possible. I mean, it's possible for any team right now in the NFL to get to the ultimate game, to get the Super Bowl 50. Um, but as far as the Vikings are concerned, they have a lot of the pieces that you need. They have great special teams play, number one. They have a great kicker, punter. The return game is going to be awesome, so their special teams are set. That's a third element of the game that a lot of people ignore that the Vikings definitely have you know, secured offensively now with Adrian Peterson back in the fold it's going to be great because you have a ground game which was absent last year which only helps out your quarterback Teddy Bridgewater who's going to take those next steps toward being an even better passer and that's going to be the biggest question I don't have any questions about the running game I don't even have questions about that offensive line I think that's going to be very well considering the byproduct of being able to run the football and being able to operate off play action I think the offensive line will do just fine uh, now that AP is back in the fold, a lot of things work together, and I think that's one thing that will help that offensive line. See, last year they didn't have the ground game, so now teams looked at them as one-dimensional, and that's why they were the, the perception was the offensive line was struggling, and so teams was able to just pin their ears back and get after Bridgewater. So I think having a running game will ultimately help that offensive line. They'll look a lot better this season. So the biggest question will be on offense, let's say, can Teddy Bridgewater take that next step and continue to progress in the right direction? They have talented weapons out on the flanks. They have a great running back in the backfield. They'll be fine, but, you know, obviously the question is that um, can he take those next steps? Now, defensively, I think they're solid at every level. The question I have about the Vikings is that I don't think they can afford any injuries in the back seven. See, the front four, I think, it has talent. I think they're, they have very good depth along the defensive line. But I don't think they can afford any injuries within that front seven. I mean, I'm sorry, the back seven, linebackers, and also in the secondary because that's where I think they're weakest. And the great part is, you know, depth you can always pick up and find via free agency, pull off your practice squad, 
but they can't lose any one of those front-line starters because there's a drop-off from the linebackers and the secondary from starter to uh, reserve. So I think they can't lose anybody worth, you know, any starters, uh, so to speak. If they're fairly healthy, let's say by week 9, 10, you know, that back end of the schedule where you're trying to make that stretch run, then the Vikings are a team that you can consider one that could possibly get to the big game. Everyone has talent. Everyone has an opportunity, but you have to be healthy by the time week 10 hits and you have to be playing some really good football at that point moving forward. And the next question comes from at rude underscore Sue. That's at rude underscore SU. He asked the question, what are my thoughts about the Jim McElwain situation that took place this weekend at the University of Florida. If you guys haven't seen the the video by now, um, it's Jim McElwain going completely berserk on Fred Taylor's son, Calvin Taylor, who's a tremendous tailback, by the way, finally giving him the football. He's making do he's making it do what it do. So when you look at McElwain going off about uh, the throat slash, which caused a penalty, obviously, I don't know why the throat slash has become this, this crime of, of epic proportions on a football field. It's a, you know, it's just a silly gesture like, hey, it's over, done, kaput, you finish. You know, I don't know when, I don't know why this has been made into this big issue, but that was a, that's what happened. He uh, got the 15-yard the penalty from the throat slash gesture and coach went off. Now, you know, and it's funny because you, and I'm conflicted on this. I really didn't have a feeling either way. Because when you look at it, I mean, being a former college athlete, you, you see coaches do this all the time, you know. But there's two schools of of commentary on this this topic. You have the people that look at it as, "Wow, this guy is screaming at this young man." That couldn't be me. He was screaming at. That couldn't be me. I would have hit him with a quick two piece. <laughs> like whatever, you know. That those people, I always call those people the about to people. You know, it, you know, someone's always about to do something, but nothing ever gets done, right? Like, there's always someone that's about to start school in January, you know, because it's cool to say, yeah, I'm, I'm about to start school in January. You know, I'm, I'm about to start school in January. You know, yeah, I fill out some apps, about to start school in January. You know, there's always someone that's about to lose weight. You know, I'm about to go on this diet, man. I got to get right. I got to eat right. You know, I got to. I'm about to I'm about to change my life around. I'm about to do do me. It's a new me, new year, new me. So I'm about to go on a diet. You know, lose this weight, get back in shape. Even in the hood, there's always somebody about to slap somebody in the face, but nothing ever happens. You know, nothing ever happens. So those people, oh, he couldn't have he could have been screaming at me like that. I wish he would have been screaming at my son like that. What was you gonna do at at Ben Griffin Stadium? He was gonna come down from the upper level of a ninety thousand seat stadium. And give the coach a piece of your mind on the field. That that because that sounds logical, you know. Then you have the former athlete school of commentary, like myself, you know that that took the Twitter and was like, "Yo, this is nothing normal." I mean, this is nothing abnormal. You, you, you know, this is something that goes on at every college practice, every college game. It's par for the course. I'm sort of in between, you know. I'm sort of like in between. I I can see both sides. Because, you know, one, you're you flipping out on me be, after I scored, obviously, you know. So I did a great thing. And, you know, now I, yeah, I caused a penalty, which is, yeah, this is where you can, you know, correct me. There's different ways to go about it. And I, I guess because my personality, you know, I have coached high school football. So I know my personality just in general. I'm not a screamer. I'm a sarcastic piece of shit. So I may say something sarcastic to you and make you feel silly and you get my point. The message will get through. So I don't have to scream. I'm not even an arguer in my relationship. You know, I don't scream. There's no there's no reason to get out there and scream. If if something has me that angry, it better be a life or death situation. Like if we both skydiving and you trying to tell you talking to me while we're in there, while we're free falling and you say, hey, I forgot to connect our parachutes. That's when you flip out. But a 15 yard penalty after a touchdown, I get it. Listen, I, I completely get it. 
because that drives you nuts. Because you we don't know how many times he has probably told his dude the same thing in practice. And I think that's where, you know, things could get lost because that's where context is involved. And when you actually hear the statements from the video, it wasn't bad at all. It was just the fact that he was animated. But that's how coaches are. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But that's how coaches are. That's the type of stuff you deal with when you sign up for it. Again, it's not for everybody. And I'm saying, and I'm not saying what he did was right. And I'm not saying what he did was wrong. I'm just saying, I really, when I saw it, I just didn't have a, a feeling about it. You know, I just I looked at it and, and said to myself, man, coach tripping. And then moved on and, and did something else. You know, but I can only imagine the embarrassment that, you know, Calvin Taylor probably felt in that situation. Because, again, it, it wasn't that coach is screaming at you and you sitting on the side and it's just you. What made it worse was that his entire team is around him watching him get screamed at, get yelled at, and they're waiting for him to react. So, and you know how guys are. You know how, you know, how, you know your homeboys are. If Kelvin Taylor even looked like he was about to shed a tear, they would have ripped him apart. Like, oh, look at him. <laughs> they would have ripped him apart. They would have clowned him. You know, so he had to hold it tight. And then on the, on the flip side, when Coach flipping out at you like that, it's funny as shit. I'm sorry. It is so funny. So now you're fighting. Okay, you don't want to show emotion because your, your boys are looking at you. And you don't want to laugh in Coach's face because that's going to keep him going. You know? And so now you just got to sit there. And that's why he was looking down. Because if I look at him in the face, I might bust out laughing. That's That probably was going through his head right there. I know it would have been going through my head. Coach screaming at me like this, like, man, it's funny as hell. You know? Because coaches ask you those rhetorical questions that, you know, that they don't, they ask you for an answer, but they don't want an answer. Like, are you stupid or something, boy? And you know, if you answer that, it's just going to be more problems. So you don't answer it. Then they say, don't you hear me talking to you? Like, man, you don't want me to answer this question, Coach, because if I say, no, I'm not stupid, then that's going to further carry on this discussion. You're going to continue to scream at me. I can't retaliate because you got something I want, which is playing time. So I got to sit here, look like a mute, look like a fool, and just try to look straight through you until you stop screaming at me. So to long story short, I, I don't know if I had a feeling or not. I mean – it's just it's one of those things. It is what it is. It's like screaming at somebody uh, for missing a block. If you're a running back and your offensive lineman miss a block and you get smashed and you jump up and scream at the offensive lineman, I mean, I don't hate him as a person. I just wanted you to make that block, you know, because cause now my chest hurt because I got smashed by this linebacker. But after the game, it, after that play, you know, I don't even worry about it. So I, I guess it's just one of those things. It's an aggressive game, you know, and I think if it all depends on your personality and how you would handle that situation. Some coaches, let's say like a, a coach like Mike Riley, will pull you to the side probably and just lecture you to death, you know. Then you look at a guy like Dick Vermeil that will probably pull you to the side and cry with you, you know. Then you, you maybe a John Madden may pull you to the side and tell you this long, god-awful story that has nothing to do about what you just did on the field, but it makes you feel good about yourself, and he makes you feel, you know, like you're a part of something big. So different coaches have different methods, and I just think that um, with that McIlwain situation, I, it, to be honest with you, uh, at rude underscore Sue, I didn't even have an expression or a feeling. I was just like, wow, coach bugging. Like, no different than Saban flipping out if a punter shanks a punt. Or of Les Miles flipping out because, you know, the quarterback didn't get the ball off in time. You know, or Harbaugh flipping out because this, the weatherman said it was supposed to rain, and it didn't rain, so he just mad for no reason. So, I mean, just coaches are, are animated. They're coaches. You know, as, as long as he didn't touch the guy, like almost hit him, I think – what he said is fair game or how he was is fair game is just, I don't know. It's just, I, I really didn't have a feeling about it because I just felt like, Hey, this happens all the time and not saying it's right or wrong. I was just like, eh, coach bugging out. Let me go grab some of this water and get back out on this field and do something productive with my time as a, as a player. So that's how I felt about that situation. And, you know, now with, with the advent of Twitter, you know, social media 
and with the you know where people are going to take any situation and, and blow it up out of proportion this is what you get you know so i hope that answers your question at root underscore suit but appreciate the fan questions appreciate you guys hitting us up and we'll be back after this quick break life is a wild ride from the beginning you're told you're special you're the best that no one is better than you but as you get older you realize that it gets tougher and those things you were told as a youngster may not be all factual or remain true. You start to take losses, some big, some small, some hurt more than others, but losses nonetheless. However, you do win sometimes, and if you're lucky, you win a lot. You savor some victories more so than others, but you love that feeling, that adulation, that fanfare that comes with it. So you try to figure out how you can keep that feeling going, and you come to the conclusion that it's through hard work, through commitment and dedication. So when you find yourself with an insurmountable task or a potential situation that may look too tough to where you can't see a win coming from it, you then go back to all of those nice and positive things you were told as a kid, as a teen, as an adult that has given you confidence. You then look back at all the preparation and hard work you put into this upcoming test and you realize you can accomplish any obstacle that's put in front of you. Those are the life lessons I've learned and those are the things that football has taught me. And welcome back to Direct Snap. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. And you can find that book, What Did Football Teach Me? And Football, A Love Story, on our website at footballgameplan.com slash books. You can also find Stiff Arming Football Myths. We came out with that book last summer, last July. That's also available on the website in both paperback and PDF form. Go out there and support Football Game Plan. Pick up all three copies of these books. Why? Number one, it helps support Football Game Plan. Number two, these are great reads put together by our football game plan staff. And again, that those two new books, Football Love Story and What Did Football Teach Me, over 100 current, former players and coaches, executives, entertainers, guys that have played football are sharing their stories on what the game has taught them, what the game means to them, why they stay involved, what, what keeps them involved, and why they love the game so much. You see guys like Brett Billima, Carl Banks, Deion Buchanan, Bob Davey, uh, Mike Bobo, Dino Babers, Ross Tucker, John Harbaugh, Mike Singletary, Ed Reed, Howard Mudd, amongst others. So get out there and support. And don't be one of those about-to people. Like, oh, man, this is a cool idea. These are cool books. You know, I'm about to get them. I'm about to get Like, listen, dude, either you are or you are not. So don't be an, an about-to people. I just explained earlier in the segment what about-to people sound like, you know. So go out there and support the books. We put a lot of heart and a lot of effort into these projects, and they're really good you know, projects and people that have purchased them and read them have all said great things. So get out there, support football game plan, help us keep this thing rolling. Now we take a look at Kevin Clark from the Wall Street Journal. He's a great follow on Twitter at Kevin Clark WSJ. He wrote a great article about the NFL feel as though, feels as though there's a quarterback crisis. And so he interviewed some coaches, um, some executives, and he talked about how there's not a lot of great quarterback prospects coming out of the college ranks and how the NFL is at a crisis. You know, once guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady retire, retires and, you know, Aaron Rodgers is, you know, there's not a lot of great prospects down the pike. We, we have a shortage on great quarterback play in the NFL. And one, one of the funniest things that or one of the funniest reasons I thought that they put out there was that, well, you know, there's too many colleges running spread you know, running these spread offenses that, you know, the quarterbacks are just not equipped to play the pro game. And these colleges aren't doing a great job in developing talent. Like, whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes, NFL personnel, decision makers. Let's let's break this down. All right. You have 32 NFL football teams, 32. You have 778 football-playing colleges. That's FBS, FCS, Division II, Division III, NAIA, and the junior college level. 778 football-playing colleges. You also have 20 more up in Canada, the CIS, which is their version of the NCAA. So in North America, 
you have over 800 football playing colleges and universities. You are one of 32 NFL teams. So let's further break down that 800 plus number. Let's say 800 uh, and five. So out of 805 football playing colleges, you have 805 starting quarterbacks. So out of 805 players that have college-level ability, you mean to tell me you can't find 32 of these effers that can play quarterback? I find that to be utter nonsense. I don't care if you play in a spread. I don't care if you play triple option football. I don't care if you play a pro-style offense. You mean to Here's the thing I don't get about the NFL and its process and how they lay blame on these college coaches whose job is to win college football games, not to develop pro talent. Your job as an NFL coach is to not be lazy, you know, and take what you can grab out, what you can go out and find. And I'll jump to that in a second. That's the point I'm trying to make. And then you work with that talent. So you have, Scouts, let's say you have some teams have more than others. I get that budget or whatever. But let's say you have 15 scouts. You don't need 10 of your scouts to be at Alabama Ole Miss. They just watching the football game. They're not scouting. You have 10 scouts. Here's what here's the thing. It's not hard to find talent. You mean to tell me your scouts are out there from January to January, across the country, just with their shovel, digging up every old school that they can find to find the talent. And you come back with Matt McGloin, something's wrong with your process. There's nothing wrong with college football. I can go out there right now. If an NFL team called me right now and was like, hey, Emory, I need you to find me a starting quarterback. Not a problem. I can find you 50 dudes right now that's not on an NFL roster that's, comp- that's, that's, that's competent to go out there and play well. Hell, you give me a full year, I can find you 105. But this is the thing. This is what I don't get. You know, you look at the fact that they say, okay, these spread quarterbacks don't know how. I mean, they're, they, they don't even know, uh, you know, basic defenses. Okay, fine. They don't know basic defenses. Are you not supposed to teach them? Is football not your job? I mean, let's let's break it down. In college football, let's say let's go all the way to high school. High school football, you have classes that you have to go to and you only probably get maybe if you're not in Texas, you know, you probably get an hour and a half with these guys at practice. Yes, you don't have time to go over everything. College, you have harder classes. And you only have that two-hour block, you know, because you have the 20-hour NCAA week. I don't know what it is in Canada, but I know in in college football in the States, you have the 20-hour week. Can't go over 20 hours. Some coaches push that to the limit. Some coaches get to 19 hours and 58 minutes. You know, I get that. So your your time may may or may not be where it is to, to go over a lot of things. As a pro coach, all you have is time. And all you're doing is football. So if you draft me in April, we don't start, what, training camp till like July. I have no classes to worry about. And I know the CBA and, you know, just the, listen, the CBA doesn't stop me from saying before you get out here, before I can't contact you, like, hey, read up on this. Here's a here's some here's a membership to coach's choice. Go study up on these fronts. Here's some fronts you need to look for. Because let's be honest, the NFL, you're not seeing as many different defenses or offenses that you see in college. You're not seeing triple option. You know, you're not going to see uh, the a lot of quarterbacks that can move. So you're only going to see a certain amount of fronts and certain amount of coverages and, and, and things of that nature. Certain things get creative, like your blitzes and your stunts. Completely agree with that. But straight quarterbacking, you know, from a they don't understand fronts, and you know, I, I mean, he can't get under he he's never been under center. Like, dude, you can teach somebody, and I can teach a six year old to take snaps under center in a weekend and be proficient at it the following week. 
So that's not the issue. The issue really falls on the person picking the players, the person the person that's deciding who makes the roster. Let's take a look at Oakland. There should be there should never be a situation where you have a terrible football team. And I'm not saying Oakland is terrible. I think they actually may finish third in the AFC West. I'm just looking at last Sunday's game or, you know, yesterday's game. Derek Carr goes down. In comes Matt McGloin, and the offense just hits rock bottom. That should never happen. This is an NFL football team that has the luxury of picking who they want. High school, you're at the luxury of whoever signs up to go to school. College, you're at the luxury of these kids that choose your program. Now, you go out and recruit, but they ultimately choose you. NFL, you choose who's on your team. And you chose Matt McGloin number two. And this is not knocking Matt McGloin as a person, just as a football player. These are the same people that try to tell you Matt McGloin was better at quarterback than Terrell Pryor. That's nonsense. Oakland could have knocked off Cincinnati yesterday had they had a better number two. Now you look around the league at teams that have better situations as backups. Look at Tennessee. Great situation. Mariota goes down, knock on wood, but if he goes down, they can be productive and competent with Zach Mettenberger. You look at the Houston Texans. Hoyer stunk it up. They got a guy that's better than Hoyer, but they decided to start Hoyer. That's another story. But they go to Ryan Mallett, who instantly is able to move the football downfield. Kansas City has a good quarterback situation. You have Alex Smith. And if he goes down, you have Chase Daniel. I think that's a really good pickup right there. And I actually think Tyler Bray as a third guy can be, play play effective football. And Aaron Murray, I think they got four good quarterbacks that you can win with. That's how you build a depth chart. You know, it's not rock. It's not it's not rocket science. Your job is to stockpile the best football talent you can find, especially if you have the luxury to go out and get it. So it doesn't matter if you're coming out of a spread offense. If you're coming out of a triple out, hey, if I had a choice, if I wanted a quarterback and my only options was, okay, well, we got this guy coming out of triple option offense, Keenan Reynolds of Navy. I think he's a tremendous quarterback that's just playing in a triple option offense. He can throw. He can be competent. We can do some creative things, especially at the NFL level. If all I got to do is worry about football, you know, but I don't like how the NFL coaches try to lay blame at these college programs. That's that's bad business you know you look at urban meyer he took three different quarterbacks and had a lot of success nfl teams can be built the same way i mean and i know it was just one season but when you look back at philadelphia when they had donovan McNabb, michael vick vince young as their three quarterbacks that's good that's that's a that's good stock right there that's capable, that's capable of getting the job done if one goes down. You look at San Francisco, you had Joe Montana, and then you had Steve Young backing him up. That's how you build the depth chart at that position. It has nothing to do with the offense they came out of. Oh, that, and here's the other part of the article that I found funny. And it's not, this is coming from the coaches. Well, you know, you know, they just couldn't regurgitate the plays. And if if it's a 34 dive, I told I told this I tell the story all the time all the time. In high school, it was a 34 dive. Three back, four hole. In college, it was 15 gut check with me. So and that's just that was just the running play. Now, if you also have to add the formation, gun, run, 15 gut check, and I'm like, wow, what was was gonna oh no no you just worry about the number and you know the, the I'm like man this is confusing and when you get into some guys like John Gruden and the paragraph long plays that he sends a quarterback out there with of course these guys won't why do you have to make it hard if this guy coming out of this system didn't have a play over you know twenty words why are you trying to make him re- remember this paragraph or memorize this paragraph to call a play. It doesn't have to be hard. I mean, you got receiver coaches. You got offensive line coaches. 
You got guys that can relay information to the field. There's many ways to get this thing done. It all doesn't have to be done one way. I think that's where the NFL differs from college is that everyone wants it to be done the same way. So there's not a lack of talent that's coming up from the college ranks. There's tremendous talent at quarterback. Really good talent. Case in point, you look at the funny dichotomy that was happening in Pittsburgh over uh, preseason. You mean to tell me Landry Jones was out there stinking up the joint throwing the football and Taj Boyd didn't get a rep? You mean to tell me that Taj Boyd is not better than Landry Jones? And to further compound this point, you have Tyler Murphy out there who was capable as a quarterback, actually got Boston College to a bowl game, upset of USC in Chestnut Hill. He's out there now catching passes from Landry Jones. So it's not a lack of options. It's just stubbornness on NFL coaches. Well, these guys couldn't recognize fronts. They didn't know what an underfront was. Well, explain it to them. No one's going to come out fresh out the pack, like I call it, an expert. You have to explain some things. Well, I mean, if they're not, uh, if they're not Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, these are the same people that thought Tom Brady was terrible because they had to, because otherwise they would have drafted him in the first round. They waited till round six, even though on tape at Michigan he put on on film the same things he's doing right now in New England. He saved. Lloyd Carr so many times because Lloyd Carr was trying to go with Drew Henson. The same things he put on film in college is the same things he's doing in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers was always accurate, always athletic, but people will try to make you believe that because he sat behind a hall of famer that, you know, he got better on the bench. No, he just got pissed even more because he was on the bench. So he's he's a good player. But even look at that depth chart. Yeah, I mean, you have Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. See, so it can be done. And there, there are a ton of guys right now playing in Canada that's capable of playing in the NFL. There's a ton of guys right now that's capable of playing quarterback in the NFL that's playing in the Arena League or even playing overseas in Europe. But the NFL chose, has chosen to, you know, Keep certain, it's almost like the NFL has a they don't want starters to be backups, they want their backups to be shitty, they want their backups to be backup type. I'm looking for the best backup quarterback I can find. That makes absolutely no sense. So, long story short, I think the evaluation process of the NFL and what they do, you know, as far as quarterbacks are concerned, because think about it, they can find any other position from anywhere. You have a D3. Lyman starting for Tampa Bay. You know, the Saints continuously find undrafted free agents from small schools that contribute start star. You know, Hofstra with Marcus Coson is, you know, one example. They can find people from anywhere, but all of a sudden you just can't find quarterbacks. You mean to tell me there's no quarterback? You mean to tell me there's not 64 quarterbacks out of 805 starting quarterback in college football in North America that's worthy or not worthy of being on an NFL team. 64. That's your job. And, and then if you narrow that down to a team, I just need you to find me two quarterbacks out of 805. Two. It doesn't sound that hard, right? But the NFL will make it out to be the most toughest thing in the world. Oh, my God. It's just... Uh, there's no Tom Brady just sitting out there growing on trees. No, stupid, there's not. But you can get a bunch of Alex Smiths, which is just fine. You can get a bunch of Tyrod Taylors, which is perfectly fine. You know? Oh, there's, I mean, you just don't find Andrew Luck growing on trees. Like, why must people make their job harder than what it is? Football is an easy game. People make it complicated evaluation isn't hard at all. So it doesn't matter for college coaches not, quote-unquote, developing talent. I mean, you look at Ohio State. That's three different quarterbacks they had on that roster or that they still have on the roster. They may want a receiver, although he shouldn't have switched positions, but I get it. Three different styles. 
all were effective. Cordell Jones is nothing like Braxton Miller, who is nothing like JT Barrett, who is nothing like Cordell Jones. So you can go you can go around and around. Three different quarterbacks, three different styles, same result, successful. That's coaching. And I think that's a good job of evaluating and adjusting to what a guy can do well. So when you look, let's say if the Raiders still had Terrell Pryor and now Derek Carr goes down in that game trying to stiff arm a, a defender, you feel a little bit more comfortable bringing in a guy like Terrell Pryor that can't play as opposed to bringing in Matt McGlone who's going to hit every check down, take every sack, and you won't move the football offensively. That's, that's the difference. So let's say Buffalo, if Tyrod Taylor goes down, EJ, I know they put Matt Castle at number two, and that's just another story for another day, but EJ Manuel will be the backup and goes in. You feel comfortable with that in that situation. That's, that's all we're talking about here. Your backup has to be a starter in waiting. Your backup should not be a backup by definition. Like To me, at this level, your backup should be a starter. Period. It shouldn't be a guy that's terrible because that, to me, is unacceptable. That means your scouting department is not doing a great job because you have the luxury of going out and pick who you want to play on your team. It's not like high school. It's not like college. So this, this, these quotes coming from Kevin Clark's article, which you guys have to read. Go follow him on Twitter at Kevin Clark WSJ and check out that article. It was a, it's a great article. But I just don't like how they lay blame to these these coaches and these spread quarterbacks. You saw yesterday Cleveland, the Jets, in the Jets. Brian, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Luke McCown, uh, sorry, Josh McCown, tried to go straight Johnny Kane out there from uh, the program and try to put the women and children to bed and go looking for effing dinner and got his head knocked off and out the game. In comes Johnny Manziel, who should have been the starter anyway. But why are you wasting time with Josh McCown? Why? Why is he on your NFL team? You've seen him reach his ceiling already. I mean, we saw that five years ago. So I don't get it. I, I do not understand the process and the logic with some of these teams. And they quickly were to lay blame on, well, you know, these quarterbacks come out of spread systems. If I if I draft you because I like how you operated in your college system, which was a spread, I'm not going to bring you into the NFL and make you do something completely different. I'm going to take what you've done, tweak what I'm doing, and make it work for the both of us, which is why you saw Marcus Mariota have success yesterday versus Tampa Bay. Football is an easy game. It's not hard. Don't blame these college coaches Blame your scouting department and your coaching staff. We will be back. I love football. I, I cannot get enough of football. I, wa I watch it on every level. The emotional release. You know, whether it's an exciting play that gets you all jacked up and juiced, or whether it's the fact that you're able to pour everything you have. Whatever frustration you had that week, you can put into that first kickoff coverage, that first block that you have, whatever it might be. And, and I couldn't think of anything better to do uh, to fill that void that you have as a football player than to get into coaching. You get a chance to release a lot of emotion that you otherwise have no place to release. There's nothing else like that. Again, the relationships you build and the, thing, the people you're around and, and watching the guys compete, um, not just on the football field, but in life after they get done playing. Uh, it's, it's just an amazing game. And welcome back to Direct Snap. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, but you guys already knew that. And you can find me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Now we're on the back end of this episode of Direct Snap, and we're going to jump into something that I think should be a cool new segment that we're going to probably add each and every week on these episodes. If I can't find anything to talk about, it's been a pretty calm week as far as the football takes are concerned. But when you look back on it, there are some things that bothered me, and I think this could be another segment that we'll add to the podcast, things that bothered me and um, just some things that I just want to address. Uh, first of all, starting with football Twitter. And, and I think football Twitter can be broken down into a bunch of different subsections. You know, there's a bunch of pieces to the football Twitter puzzle. You have scout Twitter, 
you know, guys that are scouting the prospects, you know, guys that are out there in the button. I probably fall in at least four or five of these categories, you know, but there are certain categories you have. You have scout Twitter, guys that are out there scouting the prospects, trying to break down the upcoming draft class. Um, they're quiet about it. They don't they don't publicize it. You know, so I would call them scout Twitter. They scout pros and also the college level. There's high school football Twitter, you know, that's, that follows recruits around. That seems to be tiring. I don't know how they can keep up with that. That's, you know, especially this generation where kids are announcing letters that they've gotten on Twitter. That just, you can have that one. You know, there's X's and O's Twitter where you're going to constantly, you know, go X's and O's, break down for everything. Um you know, that can be broken out to another subsection like jargon Twitter and make it simple Twitter. Because a lot of times people tend to, everyone wants X's and O's, but no one wants X's and O's. People want X's and O's simply delivered to them. You know, they don't want to know what bazooka, zebra, jet, fly, on the wall, dragon, X, X stop, sticky. They don't want all that. You know, they may think they do, but they don't. And you lose a lot of people as far as like, I mean, it's so funny when you sitting there trying to hold a an X's and O conversation with 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 someone that's just a football or casual football fan, but they'll ask you, "Hey, man, what's going on in this play?" And like, okay, well, what they're trying to do is trying to work tight end down the scene, and they got that that whole, uh, you know, Bubba from Forrest Gump look, like you know, like they looking at you like they drunk, like they bottom lip hanging. Then you know right there, like man, let me shut up, man. They they don't want they don't want X's and O's. They want me to say like I don't know, man. They're trying to get the ball to Gronkowski so he could grunk spike. That's all they want. That's the, they don't want X's and O's. So I would say if I fall into X's and O Twitter, I try to limit the jargon and try to make it simple because you know people these days they can't. You ask people to to really think, it's gonna be a problem. So you got to keep it simple. Then you got film Twitter, you know that people that are constantly watching film, whether it's you know YouTube clips. Or, you know, people from Draft Breakdown, which is a great service. You know, you have people that have access to college film, people that watch pro film with, you know, the NFL Game Pass or Game Rewind or whatever they try to mess it up and make it this year, whatever it is. You got film Twitter, guys that are constantly watching film. You got beat writer Twitter. It was interesting about beat writer Twitter because I think they fall in line with national football writer Twitter because both – are constantly at these practices. They're constantly at the games of the teams that they cover. But the funny part is they don't want to be there. They're always writing something snarky, sarcastic, how they hate this player, how this player is stupid or this player sucks. And it, they kind of coincide with, you know, uh, blogger Twitter. Because a lot of times you would think, yo, you write for a national publication, national outlet, and this is the type of stuff you're putting out there. Guys that are at games that are covering these NFL teams don't want to be there. And it reflect is being reflected in their writing. That's beat writer Twitter. And that's also national well, national football writer Twitter. They don't really like football. They just want to talk about how bad football is to get those clicks off. Because again, let's say you national football writer. Here's an article on why football is terrible. Like word, you're a national football writer, and this is this is the article you go with. You don't go with anything positive. National football writer tweets out, "How is domestic violence ruining the game of football?" Like, dude, are you national football writer Twitter, or are you domestic violence advocate Twitter? Because both serve a purpose, and I and I get what you're trying to do, but every, if every article about if every article you write is something negative about the game, then I, I question whether or not you like the game that you're covering. So that's beat writer Twitter. That's national football writer Twitter. You know, <laughs> that's also, uh, what, what was it? No, I think they're both the same. I mean, then you got blogger Twitter. I mentioned that these are guys that, you know, that start up a fan site and, and I get this generation. They feel empowered to start, you know, their own. And I, and I encourage that. You know, you you wanted that's how football game plan got started. You know, I got tired of watching stuff on TV. I got tired of complaining to my friends about stuff that I was watching on TV, and I did something about it. I started football game plan. So I, I encourage these guys, if you feel strongly about your 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 analysis, your thoughts, your comments, start a blog and go from there. But you got blogger Twitter, because sometimes blogger Twitter and fan Twitter kind of run one and the same, because they'll be blogger Twitter Monday through Friday. 
but Saturday and Sunday when their favorite team is playing, they become fan Twitter. And that's the worst because their fan, their their team can do no wrong. You know, you can write about how you hate this player all week long. Player gets cut on Thursday, signs with your favorite team on Saturday, and all of a sudden, man, you know what? This is a great move because when if if anyone can get this guy heading straight, you know, you see you see it almost with with New England. Everybody New England can sign me tomorrow. And people will be like, you know what, man? I mean, you, Bill Belichick knows something that we don't know. Like, no, that was a that's a dumb move to sign me right now. <laughs> you know? So that's blogger and fan Twitter. Um, then you got hindsight Twitter. They come after the fact and say, like, oh, well, you know, you got, oh, I still wouldn't have taken Jameis Winston number one. Look at what he did yesterday. Like, where were you throughout the entire draft process? You know, of course it's easy to say after one game that you wouldn't take Jameis Winston first. Hindsight Twitter is the worst. Then you got poke high Twitter, Al Bundy Twitter. You know, these are the guys that are then draw on their playing experience, not necessarily at the highest level, not necessarily at, and I'm talking about guys that have played in college or pros or even high school. I'm talking about, you know, man, you know, when I was in middle school or playing Little League, man, we had this offense like, shut up, stop right there, don't, you know, stop. You can't compare what what is going on on a college football field to what you went through at middle school, different experience, different game, different mindset. It counts because you put on a helmet. I get that. You know, I'm always partial to guys that have have done it, you know, because it takes a certain uh, level of, of, of know-how to, to say something, practical experience. Um, but, no, it doesn't compare. Draft Twitter we talked about. that. I think draft Twitter can be wrapped up into scout X's and O's, film Twitter, um, blogger Twitter. I think that's one and the same. But draft Twitter is funny. Now I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, you have podcast Twitter, and I'm on a podcast now, doing a podcast. But you know, you have podcast Twitter where they put out you know podcasts constantly, and that's their form of of content, which is good. You know, you have grind Twitter. These are the players. That'll show you. I mean, if I see another tweet about you getting up at 5:15 in the morning, I don't even know if that's really your alarm clock. I think that may be a stock photo. So you got grind Twitter that's tweeting out these ladder drills, tweeting out, you know, they're walking to the gym, that they're working out. I'm gonna just let these guys know, like, hey man, I don't, I, I don't have a team. I'm not drafting, you know. So all I, all I do is evaluate. My opinion is no different than a guy that's that's your post, your postman. You know, so I do have a, a an opinion. Hopefully, it's coming from a good place. But grind Twitter is 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 that outlet right there. You have female football Twitter, and that could be broken down into two categories. You have the females that do football a real service by giving the females perspective, know the game, talk about the game, and stay on the game, and they they get fully involved with the game itself. Then you have the other female football Twitter. That's just here for the ride. That don't really like football. They could fall in line with National Football Writer Twitter or Beat Writer Twitter. They tweet out things that that may have nothing to do with football, but if you call them out on it, then all of a sudden you're the bad guy, you know. But that I think that distracts from the real women that's out there covering this game, doing a great job at it, which is a lot of them. It's only a few of these, you know, bad apples of female football Twitter that um. I think do women a, a huge disservice in how they cover and how they portray themselves and things like that, especially for the the women out there that's trying to get, you know, get their name out there and trying to build their credibility. Then you get chopped down by, you know, this girl is just doing it for the time being it. You know, I don't think that's right. You know, so there there's that inner fight between those two segments of female football, Twitter, you got comedian Twitter. They care nothing about the game. They just here to get these jokes off. Um, fantasy football Twitter is vast. I think you can pretty much find those guys instantly. Uh, everyone has FF in their handle. Um, male groupie Twitter is is funny because these are the guys that, you, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's, just, I guess that may be personality-based. But I, when I'm at a game or I'm at an event, I can't take pictures with someone that, you know, let's say I, I was just at the Hall of Fame thing. 
You know, and I see Tim Brown and you know Jerome Bettis and guys that I watched growing up, guys that I try to emulate. You know, and one of my favorite football, two of my favorite football players of all time, favorite Herschel Walker, and let's say three: Herschel Walker, Rocket Ishmael, Desmond Howard. If I saw any one of those three guys, I probably wouldn't be like, "Hey, let's get a selfie, let's take a picture." That's I, I guess that's just not my makeup. But Mel Groupie Twitter has no problem taking a, a picture with every person they see, and these are people that's there covering the games. Like they go specifically to the game, and, and you know they they may or may not write an article or write a blurb about it, but they're there taking pictures. They're getting these pictures off. They're doing it for the for the gram, doing it for the Vine, for the Facebook. That's male groupie Twitter. You got contrarian Twitter, whose sole purpose is to put out comments, thoughts that are going against the norm. Doesn't matter if it's ridiculous or not, they're just being a contrarian. So that's Twitter. Oh, I'm sorry, you have metric Twitter. You know, Twitter that every, that's the Twitter that comes up with these formulas. You know, everybody has a formula, you know. Oh, so-and-so caught this pass. Well, here's a formula how he caught this pass. So-and-so ran for this many yards against this defense. Let me put together a formula to show how he got those yards, ignoring the fact that he just ran and got the yards. I have to make this simple game complicated. And it's, uh, you know, people. some people love numbers. So that's metric Twitter. Um, but it's funny to watch on a football Saturday or Sunday, these guys go back and forth with one another. You know, it's constant arguing on football Twitter. And so you, you see guys that say, oh, well, I'm going to I'm just going to mute this guy or I'm going to block this guy. I, I first, I don't understand the whole mute thing. You know, I don't want how passive aggressive is that mute button on Twitter? Well, I don't want to I don't want to face the fact that I may have unfollowed him or blocked him. So I'll just hit mute. I'll put him on quiet. So that way I don't see him, but he doesn't know that I blocked him. Grow a pair, block somebody, or unfollow somebody. I'm just going to put it on mute. I still want to read what he says. I still want to see. I'm going to unmute him. He won't know. I'm going to see what he says, see what he writes, see what he puts out. Won't comment. Then put him back on mute. Then I'll write my own articles using his stuff. And people will think I'm the football expert or the football genius or the football analyst. I see that a lot quietly. People be stealing Ooh, people be stealing. People don't, people don't, you know, they don't give credit to where they found concepts. And that's another story for another day. So, but you see these guys constantly going back at one another, you know, and I, and I do it from time to time. I may argue. I I wouldn't say argue because I don't scream and I don't argue. I mean, I, I I like to call it debate. We go back and forth with people all the time, but football Twitter needs to just take a deep breath get along, and follow the same. We're all following the same thing. We like football. You know, maybe National Football Writer Twitter doesn't, but we like football. There's a there's enough room for all of us to fit. So, you know, hell, I just went through, what, 15 different types of Twitter that can fall under the football Twitter umbrella, but the constant bickering and fighting amongst Twitter, football, football Twitter is, is something that bothered me this past weekend, and Every weekend, you know, it's especially when football season starts because you're going to see the constant bickering going back and forth. But I would never mute someone, and I don't even feel the need to block someone. I just really don't care uh, that enough, that, that much about it. It's like, hey, you know, it's just kind of like, hey, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm out, I'm out here just for the tweets, you know. Then you got the draft evaluation. That Here's the other part that bothered me. Draft evaluation combined with NFL week one. So – you just spent your entire summer, spring, fall breaking down a prospect. And NFL week one happens, and you throw everything out the window. Well, I was wrong about this guy. He's playing well today. I say he wouldn't play well. Like, you sound like a fool. Here's what an evaluation is. If I pop in a tape on, let's say, of Marcus Mariota. And I say he does this well. He throws a he throws the ball well. I don't think his system that he's coming out of will be a hindrance to his success as a pro. 
I don't think that about his game. I think his mobility would be an asset for him. I think he throws well on the move. Where I worry about him is how he handles the blitz, how he handles coverages changing on the fly, because I saw him struggle with those two things in college. And that's my actual scouting report on Marcus Mariota. So Marcus Mariota is having, and I had him number two behind Jameis Winston. So Marcus Mariota goes out there week one and tears it up, has a phenomenal game. I'm not going to say, well, I was wrong about Mariota. Like, dude, I evaluate traits. You evaluate traits. You don't evaluate uh, what a guy does. I would say this. The one guy I can say I was completely wrong about based off evaluation was Don Terry Pope. Completely wrong about what I saw on tape and what I thought he was as a prospect. Completely wrong. But when you evaluate people, you you're evaluating traits. You're not evaluating like I don't know what these I don't know what you call that. Maybe you call that predictions. You know, people are giving up on their evaluations, an evaluation based off one game in the NFL, one week. And so many people do double talks. I just find it funny, man. Like, listen, stick to have a take a stand, say something, mean something, and let it play out. You know, if you say so and so is going to be the worst quarterback in the NFL, and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL then own up to that like, yo, I was wrong as hell on that. Don't try to ease your way back out of it and say like, oh, well, you know, we always said if he did this or if they – he must have learned. He must have sat behind somebody and learned. Like, like get all the way to hell out of here with that, you know. But people giving up on their draft evaluations after one week in the NFL. Well, I was wrong about this prospect. Were you really wrong about him? I mean, go back and look at your strengths, your weaknesses, of that prospect based on your film study. And because think about it, everybody in in the pros had great games in college. You know, so what are you really saying you missed on? I, I don't get that. After one week in the NFL, people will throw out every evaluation they've ever written. I, I just didn't, I just didn't, I just don't understand that. You saw that, you saw that on display yesterday. You also saw Saturday, college football, the misuse of Vines. And Vine is a great tool. You know, it gets it out there quick. What is it? Six seconds. You get to make a point. You get to illustrate something, highlight something. But when it's in the wrong hands, it can be dangerous. You know, you see people tweeting out stuff from, let's say, what really just caught me by surprise was the whole Jared Goff thing from Cal. And Goff can be a, a, a very good player. You know, I haven't studied golf, and I will, you know, once the evaluation process starts, once college football season ends, um, you know, then I dive heavy into the tape. You guys know this, and you guys see, you guys will see some good videos coming out uh, during this year's draft process using, you know, how we do videos at football gameplay. You guys know how we do. I know you guys know how we do because some of you guys steal exactly what we do and try to copy it. So, but – Golf can be a good player. And but the two vines that were out there, it's like, oh my God, look at the pocket presence. Like, wait a minute. All he did was stand in a clean pocket and fire a football. He's doing exactly what you would expect a starting quarterback at a major Division I university to do. Plus, that offensive line needs credit. They did a hell of a job versus Grambling and whoever they, whomever they played last week. I forgot the opponent, but they set up a wall around golf who stood there, scanned the field, and fired the football. But when you when you tweet out or vine out something and and try to and miss, uh, what can I say? And you and you talk about the wrong thing and you highlight the wrong thing. You say, look at the pocket presence when it's really look at this pocket set up by the offensive line. You're misleading the public. And that's the one thing I don't ever want to do is mislead the public. If I'm putting out information that has my name on it, I want to make sure it's thorough. I want to make sure it's at least accurate or close to it. And I want to make sure it's, it's a, a good representation of what I'm trying to say. But Vines can, you know, just like we saw Vine the other day about Jadavian Clowney setting the edge, like, against a reserve tight end, 
We saw him also blowing up Jerry Macklin, who is a receiver. Yet the Vines talk about how Clowney is is tearing it up. Like context is key. You could just even tweet out a Vine and say and not say nothing and let people interpret what they want. You know, so that way you don't try to force a narrative down people's throat. Don't miss lead the people when you're providing information that's dangerous not just in football but just in life if you're provide, if you're an outlet that's providing information do right by the people and don't mislead them so that also bothered me and the last thing we're going to talk about before we get out of here was the public humiliation of auburn's quarterback jared johnson on national tv now let me put this out there the last two weeks the only two weeks in college football season jared johnson has played some of the worst football I have seen from a quarterback, especially this year. So by no means necessary am I saying he's played great or even average. He's played bad football. I can say that because I'm not on national TV covering his games. Twitter can say that because Twitter is not on national TV covering his games. But if you are on national TV, this Saturday, this past Saturday versus Jacksonville State, who should have won that game, by the way? The color commentator, I don't know who it was, just openly questioned whether or not this guy was capable to think, see, read. Like, really, dude? This man has a family out there. You know, he has friends that care about him. And you publicly calling this dude stupid. I don't know if he can see or read. See, that's something that Twitter can say. That's something that you could write in a blog. That's something I could say on a podcast. But you're covering a game on national TV. And no one saw a problem with this. Like, basically calling a guy stupid, incapable of reading. Something's wrong with his eyes, probably. He can't read a defense. He, he needs to get his eyes checked. Like, this is the first time I've ever heard a color commentator go completely off on a player like that. And you already know how I feel about black quarterbacks and how they portray are portrayed in the public light. This didn't help that situation. You also saw it down in, in uh, Tallahassee with Everett Golson. Um, it wasn't as bad as it was with, with Jared Johnson. You know, people forget that Golson was playing in the rain guys dropped passes. It was sloppy out there, but no, he's, he, Oh, look at people kept talking about his stat line, you know, and ignoring the fact that he was playing in a, in poor conditions. So that's just the coverage of, of it. But it wasn't like what we saw in Jared Johnson. And, again, the two interceptions he threw in that game against Jacksonville State were some of the worst picks I've ever seen. They were almost Jared Lee-like from LSU type picks. Terrible. But if I'm color commentating a game, I would never question someone's intelligence, someone's ability to think, to see, to read, I wouldn't do that on national TV because I know families watching. That may be something you say off the record to your homeboys or something around the way. Like, yo, I don't think this dude could see. He was out there playing silly. But I wouldn't say that on national TV. And to feel comfortable saying that on national TV, which was more troubling to me than, you know, the actual comments. Like, oh, okay, no one's going to care if I'm saying, saying this guy is dumb, you know. He threw an interception. Like, it, it, he's not the first quarterback to throw two to three bad interceptions in a game. We've seen bad quarterback play over the course of college football. But I thought that was going a little far. You know, so, and that's how I'm in this show. You guys have any comments, hit me up on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Vine. All the same handle, football game plan. We keep it simple, and we'll see you guys next Monday. I'm Emory Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and this was another edition of Direct Snap. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah.